Welcome to Sip and Chat, the podcast. Welcome. We are glad to have you all in joining us again. Um, in the panel, we have Rusty, Anthony, Chef, Uncle Chef, as we like to call him, and myself. You know, the other guys up to no good as usual, doing the best that Lotions could do and pulling up with their work. Um, today, we want to talk about music. We lost, for those of you all in our um, age brackets, we lost an icon or a mogul in our um, industry, well, in our teenage years coming up, um, DMX. Let us pray. I thank you, Lord, for today. And I will pray for tomorrow. Let your thought and my heart go hand in hand. I first thought but to start, but I stand a man. And for as long as I can, as long as you permit me, please give me the strength I need to live. Bear with me. Amen. Yes, that's home. we have lost some prominent people as well, but I think tonight I want to touch on DMX because, you know, apart from his being um, so vocal about drug addiction, mental illness, he was still able to be labeled almost an icon in the hip-hop industry. So I want to talk about that, you know, what, what's your, what are you all thinking? What, what, what do you all think about DMX? Did he have, did he have an impact on your lives growing up? Anybody could go. I will tell you. Well, matter of fact, let's start with what's it, what do you have a favorite DMX experience? And if so, what is it that you could recall? I well, as you know, I'm a I'm a DJ and I used to work at a music store. I first let's see, I first heard about DMX in 1997. I was about 18. Mm. And when DMX's first album came out, I was, it was like a few weeks before my birthday, I was almost 19. Back then, you couldn't get albums that had the explicit lyrics stick on them in Trinidad. Right. It was hard to get. So when you get, so for instance, me getting a DMX album to listen to was probably a hard and rare thing. And I remember the second time that DMX's album came out, nobody knew that it was supposed to come out. So I was going to buy for the store, went to my partner, walk in. This was like the week before Christmas. And I see 10 DMX flesh on my flesh blood is my blood there. And I was like, where'd I come from? <laughs> no, come on. We now get that from Miami. I was like, let me get all. <laughs> You're all. <laughs> You're all. <laughs> Because nobody knew DMX was coming out with album in December. And no, I knew the first album, which had um the single Get At Me Dog, which was it was a hard grindy song. The second album and that album also had Rough Riders Anthem that everybody like when you hear starting a party, everybody going wild. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My favorite song actually came on the second album which was Slippin' because right. Slippin' 
he actually got into his life and got into what he from where he came from, which was a child who was more or less abandoned by his mother, had to fend for himself, mm-hmm. take care of himself, and he spoke about what how his life shaped him. And that basically that kind of personal getting into what how he was actually kind of gripped me because not much rappers were speaking about their lives in such a personal manner. Yeah. That and the so last yeah, like song that he's supposed to speak that even though he was more you know gangster rap and stuff, he could have still come and say give a personal touch. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. And the other thing that struck me was that. He, despite the fact that he is a hardcore rapper, is that he had a faith that you would believe that was unshakable. For me, yeah, as, as a young person, and at that time I was heavy into church, I can reconcile how he being a rapper or he being hard, hardcore as he was, was also unshakable in his faith. But when you listen to the realize he had faith, he had conviction, and he had believed in what he believed in. And so much so that every last album that he had ended with a prayer. Mm-hmm. Rusty, what about you? Do you have any favorite DMX moments or memories? Um, I, <laughs> I, um, I grew up on music. I, I always listened to music, rap, especially gangster rap and stuff. I, I grew up and listen to that. I mean, not that my parents enjoyed that. And I actually had DMX's first album, which, which would I have Rough Riders Anthem, right? That was on the right. first album. No, I was probably about nine or ten or something, and I got my hands on a copy. And a day I had it playing, boy, and my parents came home, and I didn't know that I was home. And my father had this thing playing on the stereo system. Boy, that man eject that city so quick and fling that like a frisbee. You fling it? What? Brother, nah, man, man, that's somewhere in somebody's yard in the bush somewhere. That man fling that thing like a frisbee. You unbridled disrespect of fear, sir. He said, boy, don't let me hear you listen to that jackass music in this house. Eh? Me and grow you up, so. <laughs> yeah, that's how it was. But, um, you know, people always attach gangster music to... With a, with, a, with a bad vibe, it have a bad connotation to it, and um, rightfully so, rightfully so. Not, not, not for me because <laughs> I know I know gang, and and I talk about as men like Fifty Cent and and well DMX, all these kind of men. I so listen. In other words, Rusty, you will live vicariously through them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's exactly what happened, <laughs> and and um, I think that helped me get through a lot of the things that I've been through as well. Like when mm-hmm. I go through hard times, I tend to. To rap to, to gangsta, rap and take it in, and that calms me down. It, it really does. It helps me. It really, really does. Come here, Uncle Chef in the building. Well, well, while you listen on Chef, I will I could tell you about me. I mean, I didn't even know who DMX was. I remember my first experience or my my memory of DMX is that um I was in a me fair. Those of you who are custom or know about the the went to school in Port of Spain and all about the, the entertainment circuit in Port of Spain. I was in Bishops, but it was in Bishops. And if you went to school in Tongue, and you know Bishops coming up, you had to be in that dance. And that year was the first year Bungie came out with um, Send that Red and Mad, Mad, that song. 
So that was going on. And you know, I, I, bishops are feeling nice. What everybody there, we having a time. And then the rock riders answer, Miriam said, and I was like, okay, no, not that. That is Bungie, sorry. And it's why I didn't But the rock riders answer, um, start up. Right? And mm. the whole party mm-hmm. started to sing, stop, drop, shut them down, open up shop. And I was like, what is this? What song is this? Everybody was like, oh, oh. And I was like, the song bad, what is this? What is this? Boom, DMX. So that was the first time I hear Rough Riders answer. I was like, all right, not bad, not bad, not bad. And then from there, you know, I started to follow X. You know, he came on the movie screens and all of that. And like, my favorite album from DMX is, um, and then there was X. When he had the um, songs, let um, One More Road to Cross, um, Same Old Shit Dog, That's a Different Day, um, the, the, the most famous song uh, with Cisco. Um, what is, I wouldn't say, what these girls want. <laughs> you understand? But you you find out what they want yet? Favorite, yeah, tracks, you, you, you might try yeah. and find out what they really want yet? No, so no, we find out still. X1 and we still don't know. There was one or something. You understand? We even know where Cisco is. I even know. I feel Cisco wants to find out what they really want. That's why we can't find Cisco. You understand? But on the real, I mean, X. It's a, a, as Rossi says, it's a pump-up music, you know, you, you'll listen to it while you're working out and you'll enjoy it. And, and as Anthony mentioned before, his, his devotion, boy. X, when you're talking, you know, you're hearing he, he coming from a deep place. He coming from deep inside. And that's what I admired about X, because even though, yes, he was saying gangster rap, and yes, he was, um, he had a husky voice and he was saying more killing this one and that one. When you really listen to him and his conviction, and when he talking to you, I mean, it, it, it was like nobody was testing DMX's masculinity. I thought he was a rough rider, dogs, this get them boy and bitches and all that. But when he was moved so vulnerable, they could actually feel his passion. And he always used to be talking about his, his battles, his addiction, how it affected his family life. And those things stood out to me and DMX. Kevin, I see you reach back. You want to share your um, version of DMX? What's your memory? Right, so I was telling you all, boy, my best DMS experience. Club Coconuts, boy, college days, right? The whole crew, fellas, girls, everybody there, boy. And when I go in the club, I just want to hear soca and dance all. I just want to jam. So when they start the hip-hop session, oh, gosh, I vex. I go in by the bar. But, boy, at this particular time, you just hear... Boy, and the energy in the club just... Start to resonate, boy, and everybody, you know, not the whole club just start pumping at the same time, boy. Yo, mad. That was one of my best, boy. If you didn't know the words, if you didn't know the lyrics, you learn it by force that night, you know. Yeah. Any party once that be drop, it's so electrifying. It is hit. It is hit. It is hit. Everybody, everybody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but in researching X a little bit, I realized from his youthful days, foster care and what and what and what, he had it real hard growing up, boy. So yeah, no yeah. wonder he was always so pretty, angry. He had some real rough times growing up. So. Still, I don't think he ever got over that boy. He always used to vent in his music and in his interviews. Even in his interviews, I mean, coming up not so long ago, he had an interview where he was trying to be rekindled with one of his children, his son. 
and he was so mm. deep in it and you know he wanted to actually reach out and he was telling his son he loved him but you know his son caught up on his drug addiction and family life you know and, and the interviewer wasn't given him that time and space to let him ex express how he felt and it's like he went crazy he's like woman you can't talk for me leave me what were you doing here let me talk to my son you know he was that kind of passionate guy then he was yeah. and i sort of admire him like honestly the most about him his devotion to God and his music because Exa is one of the few artists who nearly every album had like Anthony you could talk about this had it's just hits after hits after going platinum and all of that talk to us about that Anthony um well that's the thing I me I think X appeal to a wide cross-section of people not only hip-hop fans but also to mainstream rock and pop fans because those obviously would be the people who would have bought his music in large amounts and mm -hmm. would could also go to concerts and i think that whole let's see the whole dichotomy of being a hard rapper and still actually having some degree of sensitivity and that not only that if you've ever seen you've seen you've probably seen random dmx videos where you see people meet dmx and they they actually meet him and he's basically there showing them he's basically showing them love he's hugging them hugging them talking to them taking posing with for pictures with them taking the time to sit and talk to them and from what i've heard sometimes he would give money to charities he'd give money away and he's he's always saying that he didn't need a lot of material things even though he had a nice house he probably had a nice vehicle he would just whatever he had he gave of himself and i think that actually attracted him to a lot of people that drew him a lot of people and not only that when you talk to some of his friends or the closest people that he was affiliated with they said that he was probably one of the most loyal, most faithful people. And that is what made him not only a star, but made him into the person that people would actually love and gravitate towards. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Swiss Beast was saying that, the same material things. He said he would never buy a Jaguar, he would never buy the most expensive, yeah. He would give and give and give everything he had, boy, wow. Mm -hmm. Even so in his song from and then there was X album when he sang here we go again, you know. He was still talking about loyalty, you know. He's talking about just trying to mentor this young man in the game, and the man only wanted to get money, and he was telling him yeah, loyalty first, and then everything else will come, you know. So yeah, Beecher, you're on point. Now after after his death, um, uh, I interviewed the first repeatedly with him where he was talking about how he was tricked into smoking crack yeah that's uh, what people's party but tell it poorly right so i didn't see that interview prior to his death uh -huh. and when it came up and i saw it boy i watched this well i listened to this man and you hear it in his voice with how he had respected the guy who um who did that to him and and you're hearing in his voice he was cracking up at one point i i, I see like he broke down and yeah yeah you, you, you see the passion and how he felt and he said he wouldn't even wish something like that on his worst enemy and to know that 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 one 
instance where this guy gave him the crack in the the, the, the weeds um laced with the crack uh-huh. that changed this man's life yeah, and luck. and also took his life in the same ins- well when you think about it it took his life as well that, that's that i think even at his highest moments when we look at on at him as fans at his highest moments he was deep in addiction you know but we wouldn't know and i should tell you how like people who we tend to pedestalize they have it going on too because they are humans as well and we have our same struggles you know so it was amazing to see that even though from since when from so young that he was talking about that he was struggling from since then and he was still able to be such a profound entertainer a prolific entertainer it, 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 it's amazing no the thing is the other thing that we what to your point Kirvel, is that a lot of times we do already see that background story and is not only unique to the is not only unique to dmx there are lots of very talented artists who have had that kind of trouble when it comes to addiction whether it be prescription drugs whether it be cocaine whether it be heroin because we have went as far back as probably rachel's when we looked at rachel's um his biography well his biopic three he had an addiction to heroin mm. in terms of other artists you hear about Kurt, you hear about Kurt Cobain you hear about let's see you people that we don't really know even artists that we don't really know about like when you hear about DJ Screw and Fat Pat and they weren't even on heroin, but they used to just be using cough syrup. And while they're talented, they're using subs- they're using substances to basically numb whatever pain or internal conflict that they have in them. To a point where sometimes it reaches a point of return. Even sometimes it even if it's a numb pain, it was also used to you know to, to nerves under control right before the bond stage and stuff like that. Yep. But I want to, I don't know if we could juxtapose the, the modern day hip-hop artists because now we seem to, well, a lot of them, to me, seem to glorify. Whereas X was on it, but we wouldn't know. You know, it is when you hear them singing about using drugs, you know, being high, you know, this zip that we boy always have, you know, this kind of thing. So I don't know how I feel about the modern day artists now, you know, using, using drugs. So that's just the thing about the artists, you know, they glorify the drugs and whatnot, and they're not understanding how detrimental it could be. Because even though in the height of X using drugs and his addiction, he always used to be reaching out for help. Because I think last before this last incident, he actually checked himself in to a rehab facility when he felt himself getting a relapse. Yeah. X was cognizant of what was going on. He wanted that help, but his addiction then a monster that, or a beast that's so hard to manage that you can't really harness. Sometimes without makes me wonder. Sometimes without the proper guidance it can because not only that when DMX actually went back into rehab to prevent himself from slipping back into right. it is because right before that he had an overdose and the only thing that they caught him in time and he was revived using Narcan. So he knew of that near-death experience 
and he basically didn't want to go down that road again. My guess is that he didn't have enough of a stabilizing force or stabilizing forces behind him to tell him, listen, we support we care you. Because let's be real, eh? as much as we, you know, we're talking about X because he, he passed away and whatnot. X was already a character, you know. X, mm-hmm. the person is a guy, you know. Yeah. That's good, I'm saying. You know, so your character so is something that, and if he's battling out addiction from so long, I mean, that's something that is traumatizing for a family. So you're supporting them, you're supporting them, you want to be their friend, but how much as a family member could you really take? You know, you have to look at that side of it too. If, you know, every time he enters, yeah into rehab, he comes back out, he's doing well, and then he has a relapse. You know, it could be painstaking for a family member. We're talking about drug addiction and support and how important it is for you to have the person that you can actually confide in somebody to support you through your trauma or your stress of your addiction. And I would like to throw the question to you guys. How do you all think support fits into the whole recovery process? Well, I think I think the support is paramount, right? I don't know, well, I want to draw two local examples. We have one, um, Errol Fabian, who always calls himself a recovering addict, mm-hmm. right? Because they, you can't say you're recovered, right? Every day, one day at a time, day you're by day. Recovering. Day, right? okay. Yeah. And, you know, you have that support system. And, and he would admit that, you know, it's a struggle. Every day I have to keep focused. But he has that team and support and putting his, his energies into positive things, you know, it keeps him focused. And then we have another local soccer artist that we know time and time again has fell off the map because of the drug abuse and whatnot. But again, because of Who's support- Who's local soccer artist? Yeah, boy, I, 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 I want to ask the same thing. Call oh, name the, the veteran, the veteran, right? Oh, okay, okay, go ahead. Right? Yeah, and you know, he came back, you know, Superman, when he came back the first time, and he dropped off again. But of course, with support and family help and a team behind him, he was able to come back and make that particular Friday the most fantastic day there ever was. Right? He came back with a bang. But again, the cycle. So once you have that support behind you, I think anything is possible. But we have to remember that with substance abuse, it is a, a real struggle, a daily struggle. You could go 10 years without it. And then one day you just, uh, and you're right back to the square one. So it's but hard, chef, and you really need that support to keep you around. Tell me, Russ. Chef, I agree with you. Support is, is important, it's paramount. But I have a cousin, boy. Hmm. Right? This man had his support. He had his family. He had everybody behind him. But this and he's man still going to the gas tank. Stop, boy. Boy, this man don't want to stop. He's still telling you, playing out here and stopping. He, he doing what he had to do, he go hustle, he go thief, he go thing. Is real pressure with him, where are we supposed to do, right? Hmm. How, how long you think the family go support him? How, how long you think they go to want to stay behind an addict who ain't trying to help himself? There's In always a can carry a horse Do you think that the family have to be descendants of Job? <laughs> to, 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 to bring out that patience to deal with that? 70 times 7, 70 times 7. <laughs> I think that honestly, I think that you know, we have to go and source uh, 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 experts in this field so that we can have a, a deeper conversation about it because yeah. I think it's something yeah. that's very necessary for us to delve into. Um, I don't, I don't just want us to be here catching kicks on it because it's something that's very serious. 
And as we were speaking earlier about DMX, he was very vocal about his drug addiction and he wasn't shying away or hiding from it. You know, and, and, and the embarrassment of it and all that, he didn't study that. And that's something that I, I mentioned before as well as I admired about him because even though he was someone who was seen as a role model or somebody, an idol, so to speak, he was still very vocal about his problems yeah. and about his faith and all of that. And that is something that, you know, we could take example from as men. Not necessarily be um, over, overly emotional, but at least able to feel and talk about your problems that you could ask for help. And DMX had no trouble in my estimation in asking for help. That's the thing. The first thing is to admit that you have a problem. There's no progress for us here, cousin. I mean, he admitting, but he also admitting that he's stopping it. But no, you really need to identify that you have a problem and you really need to have that motivation i guess to want to be to be different to want to make a change you know we were talking in the chat and i remember you were saying when you look back in hindsight now when you look back at dmx interviews you could basically tell yo right. this man was real yeah when you look at the <laughs> agitation you could see it and now you see it clear, clear, clear. yeah yeah he never say no he hardly well in the early days like breakfast club interview and thing he's standing up right through no seat you know he, had to keep moving. They come like when Ray, as, as Beach mentioned, Ray Charles, remember, he fidget. He had mm -hmm. to keep, you know, itching, moving. So the telltale signs were there. The telltale signs were there. And he was reaching out. And that's the thing. It takes a real man to admit, yo, I have a problem. I have a serious problem. Yeah. What are your thoughts? In terms of, there's another part of it where, for instance, no, as we may or may not know, DMX was married for, let's say, about 10 to 15 years. All right. So he had a, that's why he was addicted to drugs? No, that's not oh, why okay, he was addicted okay. to drugs. <laughs> what right. I'm saying is that he was married. But and it is, to me, from what I've heard from his ex-wife, is that she tried to give him as much support as she could have. Right. And... There's only so much that she could have done. Because right. remember, he also is on tour. He also right. is He also is doing a whole lot of other things without them. And I think really and truly, he himself tried his best to pull himself out of situations where he would have had to battle addictions in a bigger way. So for instance, he was living in New York. He moved his entire family to Arizona so that he would be out of the environment, out of that street environment where he would be tempted by drugs, tempted by people in that, kind, in that yeah. zone. But apparently it still yeah. happened to catch up with him. Yeah. yeah, it still happened to catch up yeah. with him. So after it's more difficult having that kind of stardom or star power wow. to deal with addiction, being any limelight day in, day out. Well, yeah, because you're also under a microscope. So you're basically trying to cope with being a normal human being and you're also trying to cope with being a star that everybody has certain expectations of you. So your wife and your children have expectations that you will provide. Your label has expectations that you will develop the physical product. Your manager expects that you will come to promotions, do shows, do tours, and you have a set of people in terms of the entourage, your staff, 
and those people actually depend on you for a salary when the day comes. And that kind of mounting pressure on you, if you're not able to manage it properly, yeah. can turn into something that spirals out of control, especially if you have addictions that you want to feed in order to escape from it all. At least to my, at least to my understanding of it. And I think that's probably where DMX fought a lot because you're basically fighting, you're fighting with yourself and you're fighting to be something to everybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, well said. I totally, I could, I could see, I could see the pressure, the mountain pressure, the daily pressure that you'll be under being in such a situation. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Mm-hmm. Well, guys, to tell you the truth, I mean, in all of this, I think there are still some take messages that we, we got from DMX, apart from the hits that we always remember. Um, mm-hmm. Now that you may listen to his albums again, you know, it's, it's sad or, or, or regrettable that you know, he started delving into the albums when somebody has died or gone and it happened. Really, I wouldn't say you didn't really appreciate it while they were here, but you know, you get a little more appreciation for it now that they have passed. And you're getting into the lyrics and you're realizing why, but some of these songs he was actually dropping gems, you know? And um, I think one of the main lessons that we can learn from DMX is that even though DMX was this rugged person, rough riders and all of that, he still was vulnerable. Like he didn't have a problem wearing his heart on his sleeve. And I think that's something that we as men could take from DMX and, you know, allow ourselves to be vulnerable, allow ourselves to cry for help, allow ourselves to battle our demons, you know? And there's no shame in that. And I think as men, we tend to try to keep things pent up and feel like, you know, we are men, we can handle it. But DMX, for nobody, I'm sure nobody could ever say DMX. Never. And and what is my biggest take home for me with DMX? This is unwavering faith. You see his faith? Hey. You can't touch wow. DMX with his feet. Regardless of who say he was bad, he was this, he was in jail, he's a junkie. He still had faith in his God. I, I will all, that's just stick with me. What about you, Chef? Do you have any? Yeah, well, I think I think you hit the nail on the head there. That's one of the things. When you hear DMX pray, it moves you because he prays from a, a deep place, boy. I mean, it touches, it results. Yeah, yeah, you can tell he's praying from his heart. It's totally put everything into it. So yeah, cool. well, I just want to reiterate what you're saying there. If DMX, one of the hardest, toughest names we know, could be vulnerable, could cry, could show his weak side, could admit to being not perfect, to being weak, to having an addiction. You know, who are we? Who are we to, to not be open enough to admit the same, right? And I think as Logians, as we always keep trying to change the narrative, and I hope that we continue as we open up, because we have done in episodes past, opening up. Some of us were close to tears. Some of us, you know, admitting our frailties. And we just want to engender that type of thinking in, in, the, in the men in society. It's okay. It's okay to not be okay. It's okay to talk about it. It doesn't make you any less of a man to say that you have a problem. So I think that's what we want to reiterate and underscore with this episode here. Yeah? Yeah. So real men express their feelings. <laughs> real men, realistic men, realistic men, realistic men do that. I mean, I I really honestly don't think that men should be as emotional as women. It's not our, it's not really our forty. 
what I really do think that men should be allowed to feel, men should be allowed to be vulnerable, men should be allowed to talk. And I, I, I think that's that's very, very important. And those of you who don't know who DMX is, YouTube there. Go and dig up a uh, type in DMX, look for some. Trust me, you're going to find one you like. Not everything might resonate with you, but you're going to find one you like. I could guarantee that. Yeah? And Rossi, father, eh, Rossi, tell your father bye back, you see there. I'll wait and I'll tell him, I'll wait the request. <laughs> Alright, fellas, well, once again, it was nice meeting, sipping, and chatting with you all. Cheers for another great episode. Mm-hmm. Right, and we encourage everyone to continue, like, follow, share. We are back, people. We are back, Los Gents. Season 3, The Triad. We are here. So this was episode 2. Looking forward to your comments. Right? See you all in the next one. We out. Uh.